Father, if we could just stay right there in that presence. Father, we love you. so good that I couldn't really talk, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Sometimes just being in the presence of God, you know, when you're worshiping, there's nothing else like it. it it's amazing. And I wish that we could just stay there, and, and literally we can if we learn how to to have that song of worship going on in our hearts all day long. We could be there. Today, Daniel 11, only one more to go after this. We're pushing through. This particular chapter is probably one of the most amazing chapters in, in the entire Bible. It's probably more difficult to understand. But if you can put one thing in your mind, that when the prophecy begins, and I'll, I'll point it out to you and show you. Come on in, Holy Spirit. The door just blew open. That these things are prophetic stories that God is giving to Daniel, and Daniel's writing them down Some as far out as 375 years. And it happened exactly as he said. To the point, there are critics who say it couldn't have been Daniel writing the, the book. Couldn't have been. No way can anybody predict the future to that kind of accuracy, but God was just having fun. Showing us that he knows your life, and where you're going, and where you're going to be. He knows. He knows the future. As well as you know your past, he knows the future. The prophecies in the book of Daniel are so detailed and accurate that scholars don't believe, the scholars who don't believe the Bible to be inspired word of God have trouble expect, accepting Daniel as the author of this book. Daniel wrote about the Babylonian kingdom. He also, when he did that, he wrote in Aramaic. When he wrote about the Hebrews, he wrote in Hebrew. It just shows you that he was well-educated and used Aramaic and Hebrew language with ease. And if you knew anything about those languages, you'd go, wow, with ease. Now he, and I'm referring to this angelic being, I believe was Jesus. If you guys remember last week when we went through the angelic beings, this is a continuation on. Remember he saw this white robe and the golden sash around his waist and out of his eyes were like lightning and, you know, remember all that? We believe that that was Jesus. That was a Christophany. 
but we also have the angel Gabriel and, and the archangel Michael, and we don't really know exactly who is speaking because he didn't tell us. We just know that it's an angelic being. So I'm just going to refer to him as the angel speaking. But I believe it was Jesus himself. He begins to reveal to Daniel these things that are going to transpire. This can only be from God. No matter who delivered the message, as far as the future is concerned. And Daniel here gets into such interesting details that many Bible critics have a difficult time with this 11th chapter of the book of Daniel. And some say it had to have been written at least in the year 166 B.C. after all these things had transpired. Because it's impossible that anyone could write these events to such detail as they're going to happen. Of course, we know that it's the miracle of the Word of God. It's God. And that's, that gives us the confidence to read the Word and know this is really, truly the living Word of God. These things happened 100 years prior before what you're going to hear tonight. Even the Septuagint, the version of the Old Testament, that was translated in 220 B.C., in the Septuagint book of Daniel is included. In the Septuagint, the, the book of Daniel is there. The Septuagint is the earliest extent of the Greek translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew. The Septuagint was presumably made for the Jewish community in Egypt when Greek was a common language throughout the region. So if, if he had been in there at year 220, certainly it was already wrote before 166, because remember, time's going down until we have the birth of Christ, and then time starts going up. It was accepted, written by Daniel as authentic, at least 60 years before these critics of the book of Daniel had supposed that it had been written. It's so interesting that they could have had copies 60 years before it was written and translated into Greek. Chuck Smith said, they say that figures don't lie, but liars can figure. And I agree. So we entitled this message today, Prophecies of Future Kingdoms. Now, I'm going to do something that I haven't done since we've been doing a verse-by-verse -verse study. You, you're probably going to gasp. I am going to skip some verses. And I'm going to do this simply so that I'm going to trust you to go home and read it. Because it's like it's repetitious battles going on and different people dying, different things happening over and over and over again. And it all can be, be checked out through history that, that it happened exactly the way Daniel said it would many years before it actually happened. But in order to get through and get us out of here by noon, uh, we're going to have to skip some of those verses with something I said I would never do, and I'm doing it. But I'm trusting you to read them. Verse 1. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. The angel is speaking here. I believe it's the Christophany. I believe it's Jesus who is speaking. And he helped establish Darius the king in the first year of his reign. Don't tell me that God doesn't have control over the kingdoms and kings. 
You know, you may be all stressed out. We're going into an election year, and you think, well, is Trump going to make it? Is he going to be there? Is it going to happen? Hey, that's up to God. Your job is to vote your conscience. Don't just not vote because you think it won't make any difference. God's called us to be part of this community, and we need to vote. But God is the one who's going to put into place who he wants in place. Whoever winds up, you know, winning this next presidency go around, that's God's man. And you need, we need to learn to face that and realize that. God puts in charge who he needs in charge at the time. Verse 2, and now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will rise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Remember, this is all prophetic. None of this has happened yet, and he's, this angel is telling this to Daniel. And I'm sure, you know, I don't think Daniel was writing, but he's, he's taking it all in. <clears throat> there are three other kings in Persia other than Cyrus. There was Asurius, Artaxerxes, Darius, and then the fourth was Xerxes who trained up an army of nearly 2 million men. After training his army, he attacked and conquered Greece. Verse 3, Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and according, and do according to his will. The mighty king here is believed to be Alexander the Great. And I'm going to give you a quick little side story. It's not from the Bible but it's from Flavius Josephus, which was a Jewish antiquities writer. But I want you to hear what he had to say. It's very interesting. Alexander the Great gave his hand. You know, because what's interesting, all we hear about Alexander the Great, he only reigned for a few years because he died from a fever after a drunken party in Babylon. He, he, he never attacked the Jewish nation. He wiped out literally all of Europe but he didn't attack the Jews. Why? Why not? What, what was the deal? We have a little bit of an answer here. And again, this is just from Josephus. It's not, we're not going to make doctrine out of it. It's just interesting. Alexander the Great gave his hand to the high priest with the Jews running beside him as he entered the city. Then he went to the temple where he sacrificed to God under the direction of the high priest and showed due honor to the priest and the high priest himself. Then and when the book of Daniel was shown to him, in which it had declared that one of the Greeks would destroy the entire empire of the Persian, he believed it to be himself. And within his joy, he dismissed the multitude of the, for the time being. And the following day, he summoned them again and told them to ask for gifts which they might desire. He never attacked the Jewish people. He never overwhelmed them. They showed him in the living word of God, listen, buddy, here you are. And he was reading things before they ever happened. Incredible. Two things to note here. First, Josephus clearly regarded Daniel to be the author of the book of Daniel, which he had declared. Second, Josephus placed this event in about 332 B.C. 
So Josephus believed that the book of Daniel had been written, none and only, but by Daniel. Verse 4. And when he was risen, when, and when he has risen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his prosperity, to his dominion with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted for others besides these. Now, it's interesting. If Alexander read that, he also knows that he's going to die at a very young age and that his kingdom isn't going to go to his family. It's not going to go to his prosperity, to you know, his brothers, his fathers, mothers, any of his family. And it's going to be ruled according to his dominion, his sovereignty of control. The prophet here says Alexander would be cut off in his prime and the kingdom would be divided between four of his generals, which it did. Four of these kings divided the, this kingdom into these four generals. Verse 5. Also, the king of the south shall become strong. Now, this is the part of the four kingdoms. It's, it's going to refer to two of these kings especially, and the other two kings we don't hear anything about. Well, why is that? Because they were of no relevancy to the Hebrew people. Wherever they took their kingdoms, they were doing what they were doing that had nothing to do. These two, between the north and the south, were fighting each other with, guess who was right in the middle? Israel. It was right in the middle of these two, and that's why they're talked about. Also, the king of the south shall become strong, as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion, his dominion shall be a great dominion. The king of the south was this king named Ptolemy, a general who ruled Egypt. The king of the north was Seleucus, the general who took Syria. Both served under Alexander. Israel was in between the two kingdoms and suffered from the continual warfare between them. These two kingdoms rose up <clears throat> out of four kings, the other two wannabe kings were still doing their thing out there somewhere, but they were of no effect and no consequence to the Jewish people. Please remember, everything we're about to read is prophecy. Pay attention to the detail because it's absolutely amazing. Verse 6, And at the end of some years they shall join forces, for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north and make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand. But she shall be given up, and with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, her father obviously, and with him who strengthened her in those times. Let's talk about this. The kings of Egypt and Syria... Is he's telling them there's going to be this peace treaty, and it all happened exactly how it played out. We had Ptolemy, which is going to help Seleucus gain control over Syria. To seal the bargain, Ptolemy gave his daughter, Bernice, to Seleucus for his wife. Seleucus divorced his wife and married Bernice. That kind of created a strife. However, when Ptolemy died... Seleucus left Bernice and took his former wife back, and she poisoned Seleucus. She poisoned Seleucus and had Bernice and her son assassinated. 
for the former's wife's son became the new Syrian king. Now, that was just a bit of history. That all happened. Yeah, it's crazy. It is absolutely amazing the, the detail that he gave what was going to happen. Verse 7, But from the branch of her roots one shall rise in his place, who shall come <clears throat> with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north, and deal with them and prevail. Verse 8, And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt and their princes and their precious articles and silver and gold, and he shall continue more years than the king of the north. What's happening here is Bernice's brother was an Egyptian king. He invaded and defeated Syria to avenge his sister's death. So he took the fortress and plundered Syria and its goods and gold and costly vessels. Just for time's sake here now, this is where I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump down from here to verse 21. So let me, if you look at, if you pick up my notes in the back, all of it's there with my notes on these other verses. So let's go to verse 21. And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom he shall not give honor and royalty, the honor and royalty, but shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. This person is Antiochus Epiphanes, was the next king of Syria, and he won his throne by flattery. This king is going to wind up being a type of the Antichrist, which is to come in the end days. So he's talking about this guy, Antiochus. Verse 22, with force of a flood, they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the pr prince of the covenant. Also, the prince of the covenant is who he's going to become. This man was able to make covenants because people thought he truly was all that. Listen to this scripture from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 28, 15. For you said, we have made a covenant with death. We have fashioned an agreement with Sheol, with hell. With the overwhelming scourge passes through it, will not touch us because we have made lies, we have made lies our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. This is what this guy was doing. He was making lies his refuge and falsehood his hiding place. He was deceiving everyone. Verse 23. And after the league is made with him, he shall deceitfully, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. Antiochus killed anybody who perceived he perceived was a challenge to his reign, and it didn't matter who it was. Verse 24, he shall enter peaceably into the highest places of the providence. He shall do whatever his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall despise, disperse among the people, the, the plunder, the spoil, the riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds but only for a time. So what is he doing here? 
He's taking the, the spoils of the things that he conquered, the money that he had, and he dispersed it out to the people. Oh, you love a leader that gives you money, right? Yeah. Gives you gold, gives you silver. He sounds so good, everything that he says. We'll follow him. He takes the spoils of the land that we conquered, and he gives the spoils to us. What a, what a great king. This is how he bought his associates, by making them rich with the spoils of those he destroyed. Antiochus hated the Jews, and he killed and eliminated thousands of them. Verse 25. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. He attacked Egypt and defeated her. Verse 26. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and they shall fall down slain. Remember, this is all prophetic. It's being wrote many years before it ever happened. Verse 27. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it, sh but it shall not prosper, for the end will still be at the appointed time. When this verse here says, And both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, I personally believe that he's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist in future times. That's my take. You don't have to make a doctrine out of it, but that's what I believe that verse means. That he's talking about the king that's doing it now, a type that you can see, you can see exactly what he's doing. The Antichrist is going to be the same guy, believing the same type of thing. Now let's jump down to verse 33. Now I want you guys to read the rest of these. It's, it's actually phenomenal, the detail that he gets into of the wars that are going back and forth. Please go home this afternoon and read this. It's an incredible book, an incredible chapter. Verse 33, And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame and by captivity and plundering. Think about that. And those of the people who understand, probably the Jews, they're dying by the sword, they're dying by fire, and they're being plundered, meaning all that they have is being took. Verse 34, now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. I'm not sure. I know it's getting close to end times in the prophecy here. They'll be aided with a little help, and they shall be joined with them by intrigue. I believe that the Antichrist is stepping in, and, and they're, they're going, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in God, but this guy, but this guy, and they're going to fall and, and lose their faith by looking at him. Verse 35, And some of those of understanding shall fall, to refine them, to purify them, to make them white until the time of the end, because it shall be at the appointed time. Again, this is difficult prophecy. I don't know for sure what it's telling us here. 
Some of those with understanding shall fall. It could be talking about the great falling away of Christianity on this earth. The Bible talks about that in the book of Revelation. And to refine them and to make them white, maybe they have to sacrifice their own lives. I don't know. But it's all because of an appointed time. This prophecy concerns the plight of the Jews and the suffering they will endure. They shall be in great danger until the end of the Great Tribulation. Though the United States has been a close ally of Israel, our country, as of lately, is moving away from its position. And when we finally abandon Israel, Russia will feel free to attack her without any retaliation from the U.S. That's why we need a leader. Verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will, and he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. Now we're talking about the Antichrist and the end days. Shall speak blasphemy against God, against the God of gods, and shall prosper till his wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. The king described here the Antichrist. He'll put himself forward and seek peoples to worship and praise him, just as Satan has always craved to be worshipped. If you want some study scriptures, you can write these down real quick. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, Matthew 4, 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. Those all are the same indication of the thing we just read. Indignation here refers to the great tribulation. It's God's indignation against a sinning world. You can see that in Isaiah 26, 19 through 21. Verse 37 says, He shall regard neither God of his fathers, nor desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. This is another very interesting scripture. The scripture has led many people to believe that the Antichrist will be an apostate Jew. I personally believe that myself. Some say he may even be a homosexual because it says, uh, nor the desire of women. But this may refer to the fact that Jewish women hope that she would bear the child who would bruise the serpent's head because they don't believe Jesus was that child. So he doesn't regard you know, their desires or their hopes for this, this Jesus to come. He's saying, I am he. Jesus was that child who fulfilled this prophecy, his atoning death on the cross. This verse could mean the Antichrist will not regard God or Jesus. Whether he's a homosexual or not really means nothing to me. Sin is sin, right? The man's engulfed in it. Verse 38, but their place, but in their place he shall honor a God of fortress, a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor the, with gold, silver, and precious stones and pleasant things. What he's saying is this Antichrist is going to worship himself and want others to worship him. He's going to say that he is God with worship and obsessity, with military force. He'll build a huge and expensive army equipped with tremendous military hardware. Verse 39. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortress 
with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land of grain. The Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel. He'll work out a Middle East peace deal. Wouldn't that be amazing when we see what's going on? This guy's going to be able to walk in and just bring peace. All the bombs will stop. All the buildings will be rebuilt. It'll be an amazing time. Praise God, we won't be here to see it. We're going to be gone in the rapture. But this is going to happen during this time of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. He'll bring peace to the Middle East, a plan that will divide the land of Israel for his gain. The covenant will be broken with the Antichrist after three and a half years when he stops the sacrifices that are going to start over in that temple and demands that he himself should be worshipped as God. At this point, those Jews who are close to God will flee to the Jordan, the rock city of Petra. You can see that in Matthew 24, 15, Isaiah 16, Revelation 12. It's all there. Verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and many ships shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. The chariots here are going to be tanks. Birds of the air will be helicopters. It's going to be the battle of Armageddon at the very end. The glorious land is the land of Israel. Abnon is Jordan and Iraq. Verse 42, And he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt, also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall fall on their heels. The Antichrist will be at the borders of Libya and Ethiopia and will probably plan to attempt to conquer the continent of Africa. But news of the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. The Antichrist European Federation of Nations begins to move against Africa, passing through Israel and taking Egypt. The Chinese will send their armies along with a remnant of the Russian army to battle the forces. And that you can see that in Revelation chapter 16 through 12. These armies will meet in the, in the valley of Megiddo for the great and final battle of Armageddon. Verse 45 and he shall plant and he shall plant the tents of his place between the seas of the glorious holy mountain yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him the antichrist will set up his th throne in jerusalem and he will seek to rule the world from there and jesus will will destroy the antichrist with the words of his mouth you can see that in Jude 14 and 15, Colossians 3, 4, Revelations 19. It's all there. It's an incredible prophecy that takes us from 300 times into Daniel's near future all the way to the end times, our future. It's unbelievable. And it's so worth sitting down and reading it. And if you keep in mind that this is prophecy, it's not just a story. This is telling you what's going to happen before it happened. 
Now, of course, many of the things have already happened in about a 375-year period, but not the very last of it. The Antichrist is to happen. Well, pastor, should we be afraid? No, quite opposite. We should be impressed that God knows the future, and he knows our future. And the problems that are going through this tribulation are the Jewish people for their stiff-neckedness, for them not wanting to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, they will. God will have his chosen people. And he has us as believers, as the Christian church. And we will return with him on that day. On the second coming of Christ isn't the rapture. That's when we all go to heaven. The second coming is when we all come with him to this earth. I hope you're not scared of heights or horses. Either or, because we're coming. We're coming with him on that glorious day. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't even fathom. It's like a, like a kid dreaming of Disneyland or something. You know, it's like, I can't even imagine, but it's real. And God is showing us through this word that it's real because this, he wrote it before it ever happened. And he gave us enough that we can see what has transpired exactly as he said. You can go through the history of all those things that you're going to read when you read all those verses I skipped. If you could go through the history and see every single one of them happened exactly as he said. So why would it not happen, the end times, exactly as he said? We need to praise our God in heaven that he knows our life. He knows your life. He knows your last days. He knows what we're doing. He knows where we're going. And that's why we need to submit to him and submit our lives to him because it's his. It's already his. Father, you lead me and guide me. Do I still make mistakes? Yes, I do. And I regret them. I wished I would never make a mistake. But I'm a human being, just like you. And sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I get sad. Sometimes I allow depression to keep creep in when I shouldn't. I know better. But God loved me so much that he still loves me even through that. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. This was a real fast attempt to go through Daniel chapter 11. Father, I pray that it's interesting enough that we'll go and read it for ourselves and try to get it into us to see all that you have done. Father, you know our lives. You know our past. You know our futures. You know how the story is going to end. Each one of us is a story of our lives being wrote out before us. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us so that we could be in heaven, so we can return with you to this earth. Father, we believe your word. Sometimes it's a little hard to believe. I'll give you that, Father. But you help us. We read the word and it just, it's, I'm awestruck of how you know what's going to happen before it ever happens. Father, thank you. We, we just love you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tony, could you come back, if you will?